Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. Yes, you can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, Jim Breen appeared on the RTE version of Secret Millionaire back in 2012 and decided to speak publicly about his experience of depression throughout his life. He went on to raise thousands for charity through Cycle Against Suicide and now works to tackle beliefs around mental health in the workplace with his organisation I Am Here. Today he talks to me about what he calls the Tuesday feeling that has permeated his life, how we need to move the conversation on to help empower people to know how to ask for help and how to help others and that no one's journey is ever linear. And the Future of Beauty show had its launch recently. I went along to try groundbreaking technology M-Face, which promises to target and lift the muscles of the face, which has fallen with age. They had me with fallen at age. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, I've been flying around this week. The spinning plates were turbocharged. In between work commitments, I have been at parent-teacher meetings, combing for head lice, coming up with costumes for World Book Day, and it has been a lot. But when times like this come my way, I've actually started to catch myself when the stress levels rise and I begin to complain. I think I mentioned on the show a few months back about a weekend where I had a night out with my mum I'd forgotten about and was getting up the next morning to do one of my lovely news talk hikes. And I found myself getting through it, panicked that I'd be tired on the Sunday morning and When it came down to it, I really enjoyed the Saturday night. The hike went amazing. And I said, I'm never doing that again. I'm never allowing a stress to creep in about some of the incredible things that I get to do. And Siobhan Murray, who is a burnout expert, she's been a guest here on the show. She's the author of Twisting the Jar, messaged me once on Instagram when I'd posted about a walk I didn't want to go on that I then didn't want to end. And she said that, Instead of saying, I have to go on a walk, she says, I get to go on a walk. So I've started to do that now. Instead of saying, I have to do this and I have to do that, I kind of say, I get to do that. And I think it's a really subtle but powerful mindset shift. To be honest, I could have done without the headlights and possibly World Book Day. But the rest of it, I was delighted to be a part of. And I was also delighted to have my event this week on Wednesday night, Go With Your Gut. And I want to say thank you to everybody who came along to it. There were loads of listeners to this show who came and said, hi, one gorgeous lady who was at the hike and now here. So I love that we're building a lovely Alive and Kicking community and thank you to everybody else. There is talk of bringing the go with your gut elsewhere in the country. So watch this space and I'm delighted I get to do this. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Now, the Future of Beauty show takes place in the RDS in Dublin on the 25th and 26th of March, bringing a host of experts together to talk about beauty from the inside out. I went to the launch recently where the latest innovation from BTL Aesthetics was on show. M-Face promises to lift the facial and skin muscles. I was intrigued and I spoke to Dee McMahon, who's the country manager for BTL here in Ireland, to talk about how technology is coming to the forefront of aesthetic treatment. It's a 30-year-old physiotherapy company by by its roots. Um, moved into aesthetics 2014 um, and have exploded the industry really since then. So I'd certainly um, standing at the number one aesthetic manufacturer in the world at the moment. Uh, so a real honour here to, to, to bring it to Ireland. 
So I've just tried M-Face and you're saying this is groundbreaking technology. Tell me what's happened to my face. <laughs> well, innovation like no other M-Face is uh, targeting a totally new level. Um, I would describe it as a treble target approach. Okay, so we are able to actually affect a change in the muscle of the face. And this is really the kind of um, where it all starts from an aging perspective. So we've got muscle separation, we've got fat pad separation, uh, we've got muscle atrophy, certainly. Um, so we're able to really hoik that muscle right back up. We're giving about in and around a 30% kind of density back to that muscle, which allows projection uh, to our facial muscles. So I'll give you the analogy of um, the poles in a tent. Yeah, everything looks much smoother when you when you put those poles up nice and sternly. Um, with that, and in addition, we have a synchronized delivery of radio frequency, which is heat. And that does all of the lovely things like dissociation of collagen and elastin to basically kickstart the wound healing cascade. So all in all, the sum is a 37% reduction in fine lines and wrinkles, a 30% increase in muscle density, so that lifting effect, and an overall in general um, 23% facial lift, including the, the, um, the jawline really sharpens the jawline. This is non-invasive so there were just pads put on my face I could feel like a little tingle um, so this is very different to what we're hearing now when it comes to facelifts or fillers. Mm, yeah for sure it's um, definitely groundbreaking in that sense I mean I've been in the industry a long time and anything that really is going to give you a lift up to now has been quite painful to endure you know you're talking about putting lidocaine numbing on people's faces and you know we're having dental blocks and you're kind of like you know you're you're feeling really quite um, temperamental post-treatment and it's a painful process to go through but now with M-Face, they have really changed the whole framework of aesthetics. This is a 20-minute treatment. It's, by all accounts, quite comfortable, very different. Um, so that nice warm heat sensation. And then what is very strange is the high fest, which really penetrates right back into the skull. And essentially we're doing a workout for the face, just like we would do for the body, getting it nice and toned and strong and giving you back that sculpting effect when you're at the gym for a while and you're, you're really feeling good and sharp. We're giving that exact same result back to the face. So it's really fantastic. So you've been spending your time the last couple of years putting these machines into clinics, training people in it. How has it been? It's been a real whirlwind. Yeah, I mean, oh God, something like nearly, God, it's nearly 17 years, I think. Um, I've been kind of... Uh, walking up and down the streets of, of Ireland and in with some of the really great, great innovators of this space in aesthetics and um, initiate, like I started my career in, in, in botulinum toxins and dermal fillers and moved on into the technology space and you know what, um, without the need for, for the likes of, of injectables, there's been nothing like this. You know, there's been nothing to give that volumization effect really from that depth at which we're working with with M-Face. Now, BTL is just one part of the Future of Beauty show run by sister duo Nikki and Liz Dwyer. I spoke to Nikki at the launch about the concept of beauty and how it goes far deeper than just how we look. We're all, we're all amazing as women. Our bodies can do incredible things. Men are amazing too, obviously, but as women, we're particularly incredible. And, um, and, and like, you don't need to fix anything. If you're happy with it, it's totally fine. But if, if there's something that bothers you, 
there is amazing technology there are amazing treatments there are amazing doctors and surgeons and dentists and nurses out there um, and the only problem with that whole industry is that it's a total minefield and you know uh, for an average person kind of coming into this market if you've got something that you want to fix the, pro- the real risk is that like you're getting sold flogged some you know magic lotion or potion or some machine that doesn't actually work and you spend a lot of time and money and you invest hope into it as well and it doesn't work but like there are machines out there that can deliver and there are treatments that do deliver and creams that do deliver so we're here to kind of cut through that fat and help you find out what works what's worth your money and who's the best people to go to and it goes a lot further than the face or the skin yeah. because we mentioned the, the the throne there there are women who are living with incontinence that they're not talking about painful sex that they just accept and get on with and it's about really empowering people to reach out to the experts and get help and information it's a really i don't know whether it's a really irish problem but you know one in three women in ireland one in three women in ireland are incontinent that is an insane statistic and out of that one in three um, 50% of those women will need surgical intervention like so they're, they're at that level of incontinence and so people often think that you know incontinence is you know um, this really kind of old school embarrassing thing where you're wearing a nappy and uh, you're like wet to the knees but it's not if you have to like clench or hold anything to sneeze or cough you're already into the incontinence bracket if you're wearing black leggings to your jumping um class you know because you don't want to do, do do jumping jacks at your crossfit or whatever um like you're you're there as well and like the whole thing is, is that like it's one in three of us so you know why don't we have this conversation and the other thing is there's amazing treatments for it like amazing treatments for it it depends on whether you've got stress incontinence um, whether you've got um, uh, like there's a whole plethora of different types of incontinence but we've got on our panel this year we've got actually three euro gynies and so they're all there to help you like navigate what kind of incontinence you have some people like it's like a little bit of Botox will fix their incontinence and like why would you live with incontinence for 10 years when you can have a jab of Botox for a couple of hundred euros and it literally means that you're not getting up five times in the middle of the night to pee um, or, you know, I was talking to a woman the other day and she said that she uh, dreads her commute to work because she doesn't think she's going to make it to work without having to go to the toilet. Like, that's crazy that people live with that. We don't need to live with that. Um, so we're here to kind of help you, educate you that there are treatments there, there are treatments available, and some of them are, are very small, very quick, very cheap, and quite effective. And then some of them are more serious, uh, you know, massive surgical interventions but in the right hands of the right doctors can be really life-changing and revolutionary. For more, you can go to futureofbeautyshow.com and by the way, I was seriously blown away by the difference in my face in just one session. I do try and embrace ageing as I do believe it is a privilege and we have to go with the flow of it. But I still feel I could have that awareness of the beauty of life with my 24-year-old face back. Thank you very much. What I tried doesn't come cheap. It's €750 a pop and it's recommended you take four, which will last you then a year. But as Dee said, this is emerging technology. And as the name of the show suggests, this is the future of beauty. You're listening to the podcast of Alive and Kicking, which is broadcast on News Talk on Sunday mornings. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk.
Jim Breen took part in The Secret Millionaire back in 2012. And though he was there as the rich entrepreneur ready to invest, he also sparked a conversation about mental health by admitting publicly that he had experienced depression for most of his life. He went on to raise thousands for mental health charities through Cycle Against Suicide, which he set up. And he has now turned his attention to the workplace, encouraging employees to reach out for help and empowering colleagues and employers to know what support to give through his organisation, I Am Here. He joins me in studio now. Jim, you're very welcome. Thank you, Claire. Jim, you really came to public consciousness um, over 10 years ago, taking part in The Secret Millionaire. And in that, you spoke publicly about your experience of depression. Tell us a little bit about that decision. Yeah, it was. Um, it's amazing to think it was over 10 years ago. And really, the world was a very different place. Um, I don't watch TV. Um, and I didn't know what the format of Secret Millionaire was. Um, so I was reluctant to take part in it for a wide variety of reasons. But there was one overwhelming reason to do it, and that was to um, to really explore mental health and well-being selfishly for myself. Um, and the premise of the, the programme is somebody comes in and they've you know got their stuff together and they're, they're successful and they come in and they help. And what I pitched, I suppose, back was um, I don't have my stuff together, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I struggle. I've, I've always battled with my mental health and battling with my mental health has been a journey that I'm, um, that I'm really only now, and I was 42 at the time, beginning to, to tackle. And with that premise, we did Secret Millionaire. And I think because we met amazing people, which, by the way, over 10 years later, I'm still in touch with everyone on the programme, which is amazing. But because we're incredible people, and also, I guess, because the premise was that um, I was more broken than anybody else. Um, and it was a time where that wasn't at all common. The people in, you know, a role of entrepreneurship or the public eye would, would admit to that. And that became a start of an unbelievable personal journey, I guess, for me. And I read an interview with you and you, you were saying you one of the, the, the battles you had with it was that because you were coming with this with this wealth to share, financial wealth, you thought people would think, well, what does he have to be sad about? And that's one of the biggest stigmas around mental health, isn't it? That we're like, come on, just get on with it. You know, you've got money in the bank, so surely you're fine. And it's just so much more complicated and nuanced than that. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and I guess... You know, it was it was immediately after Secret Millionaire aired. So it aired coincidentally on September 10th, right, World Suicide Prevention Day. And I was asked by a school in Finglas to come and speak with them the following week. And I said, I will. However, back then I, I wasn't a mental health expert. I didn't have the knowledge and understanding experience qualification that I have today. I said, I'll go in and I'll talk, but I want to make sure that there is a mental health professional also speaking. So they brought in a chap called Sean from Jigsaw and it was a Desh school in Finglas and I remember being there, Claire, and arrived at like 10 to 9 because I was to talk from 9 until nine until 10 and I could see the students coming in around 5 past 9 and 10 past 9 and being welcomed by the principal and I'm thinking that wasn't the way it was when I was going to school. You know, you were late, you were sent for detention but they were delighted that students were coming in and I also noticed that a lot of students would be, you know, drinking a bottle of Coke or eating some crisps. And I was wondering, is that their breakfast or are they eating their lunch early? And so all of these things were going through my mind. And the chap 
Sean from Jigsaw did a really good presentation and he had what's called a wordle. I'd never seen one before. And it was all the reasons for mental health and well-being or mental illness. And it was things like cyberbullying, bullying, you know, um, breakdown, uh, exam stress, etc. All of these things. And when he was finished, I said, Sean, would you, would you mind putting back up that wordle? And he said, yeah. And I looked at it and the students were waiting for me to talk and one of the girls at the back that I remembered seeing her coming in with the bottle of Coke and the crisps, she said, can I help you, mister? And I said, yeah. And she came up beside me. She said, what do you want, mister? I said, I'm looking for my word. And she said, you're looking for your word? Is it drugs and alcohol, mister? I said, no, it's not. Is it relationships, mister? I said, no, it's not. And then she said, what is it? I said, it's Tuesdays. And she looked at me and she said, so you mean sometimes it's okay just not to feel okay? And I said, I promise you that'll be my, that'll be my mission is to get that understanding out there. Because often our mental health and well-being is influenced by things that are intrinsic that make no sense to anybody else. It's like either Egar speaks that there's no hierarchy to trauma. I lost my mum during COVID and I was actually okay about it. Um, until a few months later, I lost my keys. <laughs> and when I lost my keys, I lost everything, you know, just, and of course it wasn't the keys. It was nothing to do with the keys. It was to do with the other loss that you experienced previously. And just having that understanding is critical. So you can have all the money in the world, or we often see it where people say, you just have to look after your physical health because if you're fit and healthy, you'll be well. Well, say that to all the sports professionals that battle with their mental health and well-being. So it is, it is really, we talk within you know, this that I'm here all the time. It's your emotional well-being. It's your physical well-being. It's your spiritual. It's your social. It's your financial. It's your working career. And any one of them, any one of them being off kilt will impact every other one. And that's that's one thing we, we want to just be gentle with ourselves, very gentle with ourselves and say, it's okay not to feel okay. It's absolutely okay to ask for help. And it doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense to anybody else or if you feel it won't make sense to anybody else, because that's just the way we are as humans. And what was, this, what was the significance of Tuesdays? Why was that your word? Well, the way I thought about it at the time, I think about it differently now, is nobody likes Mondays. Uh, Wednesdays, you get over the hump of the week. Thursdays, almost Friday. Friday's Friday. And then you got the weekend. But Tuesday, to me, had no redeeming features at all. And it wasn't really Tuesdays. It was the idea that sometimes you'd wake up and it would just feel like a Tuesday. I battled with my mental health since I was four. And my dad used to um, drive us to work only if it was lashing rain. Other than that, you'd walk to work. That was, I, I'd walk to, walk to school. So dad would drive, drive us to school and he'd go on to work. And I remembered young, when I was in primary school, developing a, um, a way of waking up before I'd open my eyes, the first thing I'd do is I'd listen to, to hear, was it raining? Because if it was raining, it meant that I was going to get a lift to school. And if I got a lift to school, it meant I could avoid those 20 minutes of walking where it was doom. It just felt like doom. And there was no reason or logic to that. Um, but but you were alone in your own head at, yeah, in the, on that walk. Absolutely. And that then became, as I got older a Tuesday feeling, you know, again, it makes no sense to anybody else. And that's part of, I guess, the conversation that we encourage having, have your conversation, own, own your narrative, own your um, situation, and then know that it's okay not to feel okay. 
it's absolutely okay to ask for help. And that's so interesting. And it's it's beginning to become part of the, the health and wellness message that everybody is individual. We We tend to have this one size fits all, like you said, eat your vegetables, get out and run. Everything will be fine with your physical and mental health. And again, it's more complicated than that when you take in that whole wheel of life and all the different spokes on it and all the different issues and trauma and all the things. Everybody's individual and everybody's story is going to be different. So let's go back to you leaving then The Secret Millionaire, because obviously that brought a lot of attention. How did you feel about that? Because you're mentioning going to that school and saying, I'm not qualified to talk about this. And yet you had kind of built this platform, so to speak. And then you went on to take more steps and use that platform. So how did you navigate through all that? Yeah, so um, immediately after Secret Millionaire, I guess, Claire, and I, I know this might not make the most strategic sense, but I, I literally just wrote down the two pages of what I envisioned cycling and suicide would be. And I wrote it down in present tense, you know, not we will do this, but this is what we are doing. And anybody who came to me, and there were thousands of people came to me to say, how can we help? And there were everybody from, you know, um, builders, block layers, dentists, um, paramedics, uh, you know, a whole range of people with all different skills and every one of them got this two-page document of what cycling and suicide was going to be. And it manifested itself and it changed and it evolved. And we had no idea again that we were going to get, and I think at the first year we got something like, I can't even remember, I think it was two and a half thousand cyclists to cycle around the island of Ireland. We had no idea at the very start that we were going to visit two schools a day, that we were going to have the largest um health event for students anywhere in the world, the Student Leaders Congress that had 6,000 participants um, over two days. But also small things like, we had a thing called the Homestay Programme where all of the cyclists and the volunteers, when they took part in the cycle, they would get free accommodation every night. And we were expecting a lot of letters after the cycle and mails after the cycle from people saying, thank you so much for organising the accommodation. And we got that. But what we also got was letters from the homeowners to say thank you so much for bringing that conversation to our kitchen table. I would go, oh my God, never saw that one coming. And the impact of that was people who were homeowners providing homestays the first year became volunteers or cyclists the second year. And and we just trusted that it would evolve. But keeping that girl in that school that day who said, it's okay not to feel okay, keeping that as the primary message of everything that we did and encouraging that belief and encouraging, you know, you mentioned earlier about we're all individual. The thing is, we are and we're changing, <laughs> you know, so like what works for us today doesn't necessarily work for us tomorrow. And the conversations need to be courageous conversations. Like I remember one time um, there was a, a couple in, in Gory and they'd lost their son and um, they were an amazing couple who spoke very frankly and very openly. Um but their daughter one day came to me and she said, I'd like to talk. And I'd like to talk about how angry I am at my brother for what he's left behind. And I said, and we, we'd always make sure things were done safely and, and securely. And we worked through it. And it became a really powerful piece because other people in that same situation who didn't feel that it was okay for them to feel that now got a degree of permission. So little things like that that would happen all the time, more magical than strategic, you know, more trusting that we're on the right track 
rather than knowing we've got a map to bring us to a particular destination. And then when cycling and suicide, um, so I always said I would do it for four years. So my very first meeting in cycling and suicide, I'd handed in my resignation for four years later. And then the creation of I Am Here, which was focused on the, on businesses, came a couple of years later, but all with the lessons that we learned from our time in communities, in schools, on the road, um, listening to people, telling their stories, sharing their stories, gambling addiction, relationship breakdown, whatever it might be, but also sharing hope, you know, that sometimes they say about hope that it's not being present, you know. I don't believe that. I think I think you can be hopeful in the present that whatever position you're in right now is where you're in and it can be shit. However, we can create, you know, a brand new journey from here. And you've got to say that and you've got to listen to that very carefully when you're in, when you're in grief and when you're in trauma, when you're experiencing loss. But it is true, you know, and having that belief shared by people en masse makes a difference. And you said something that really stood out to me of all the kind of mental health conversations I've had over the years working in this arena and beyond. And it was when you said the secret millionaire came to you and you said, I, I don't have everything all figured out. I can't be that figure. And even now, 10 years on, that Tuesday feeling is still something you're dealing with, albeit that you have more tools. And you've been fully immersed in this world and, and, and qualified yourself and are meeting with experts all the time. And I don't think we talk about that enough, the messy middle yeah. that we kind of come out and say, I'm fixed and here's the message I have to impart on that. And look, that's not to say that's not amazing that people can't share these stories of transformation that are inspirational. But to say I'm still going through it, I, th I think is really important. I think it's so important. And if anybody thinks that, you know, it's kind of a straight line progression, you know, you start in a place where you're, you know, unwell or unhealthy and you just go on a journey of constant improvement, it's much more like, as you said, it's a squiggly line where you have drops and you have peaks and then you drop again. But you think, you know, I remember, I remember 2018, I was six years into, you know, because my journey really to really work hard and focus on my mental health and well-being happened in 2012. And I saw a steady positive progression between uh, 2012 and 2018. Yes, there was dips and drops, and but, but it was it was going in the right direction. And then in 2018, I was my sickest that I've been in my life. And I go, how, what, how, where does, where does that come from? Particularly after you've done all the work. The difference though was, it was my biggest dip, definitely. But I got out of it quicker that time. And that was the benefit of doing the work that I've been doing before. And I don't think it's fair to say to everyone that if you work in your mental health and well-being, if you do all the right things, that you're going to avoid being unwell. I don't think that's a fair narrative. I think it is fair to say that the more you work on it and the more support you have around you, the quicker you'll get out when you do fall. And for me, that's hope. Yeah, I had Elaine Crowley in studio there a few weeks back and she was talking about her experience of, of depression and she said, oh, I still go down into that black hole, but now... I have more ladders around yeah. it and I can get out quicker. And it's that that same yeah. um, language that you're using. I think it's really important. It is. And, and again, I've always, I've never, I've never corrected somebody when they've used labels, but I, I really try not to use labels myself. Um, I don't know if I ever um, 
can say honestly that I've battled a particular thing like depression or anxiety because I don't fully know even today if that label fully fits how I felt at the time. What I can say is right now my battle is with intrusive thoughts. I never had that battle before. (laughs) You know, it was never something that was part of my makeup. I'm 53 this year. I'm 52 and I'll be 53 in May. And I'm having a a battle with intrusive thoughts. So it's not even, it's not even that you still have the the dips that you had before. You can sometimes have different dips, right? But there's hope. And the hope is it's okay not to feel okay. And it's absolutely okay to ask for help. I have an amazing therapist and she's gentle and kind and caring with me. I met her again yesterday. Um, And she'll work with me, A, to give me some tools, more ladders, as you were mentioning there, but also... Just allow me feel it, you know. Yeah, they're intrusive thoughts. So feel them, acknowledge them. They're unwelcome visitors. We don't want them to stay, but, but let them in the door because they're going to come in anyway. They'll sit down. Don't feed them. Don't 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 create an environment where they'll want to stay, but acknowledge them. And that's hard because you don't want to acknowledge them. You want to you want to push them away. You want to try and find a way to swat them away. The problem with intrusive thoughts is sometimes it's one thought that's hurtful. And that's 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 difficult. Sometimes, however, it's a thought that's hurtful that stays for a long time. That's more difficult. And sometimes it's a million thoughts that are all hurtful, that have all been staying for a long time. And you go, jeez, what, what do you even do there? <laughs> do you know? And what you do there is you say, it's okay not to feel okay. It's absolutely okay to ask for help. This will pass and I will get out of it and I'm okay right now where I am and I've got support around me and I'm really grateful for that support and I've got that support not necessarily when I need it as in when I'm in a, a dark place but I work on that support when I'm feeling great in fact I go to my therapist every two weeks and when I'm feeling great they're great sessions and when I'm feeling bad they're great sessions but it's it's I remember just even yesterday I was talking to somebody and she said, um, so when did you start going to your therapist, this particular therapist? And I said, I think about 2014, 2015. And she said, oh, and I said, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> you're thinking, surely you've got it worked out by now. Nah, you, you, you never get it worked out. You never, you never figure it fully out. You do figure things out. And I guess in part of that journey, Claire, you develop a sense of empathy. And at I'm Here, we don't define empathy as knowing how somebody else is feeling because I don't even know how I feel myself at times not to mind how somebody else feels but I can sit in somebody else's shoes I had a, I had a, a lady contact me um, it was actually a, a chap contacted me about his, his wife who um, had got into real trouble before Christmas and it was very messy and she was in a really difficult place and had, had caused a lot of harm and it was easy for me to go and meet with her and sit in her shoes and not that I know how she felt but there's complete acceptance because I've done the same thing not the same actions but I've also done things that have caused harm and in that moment the person feeling accepted is critical to them believing then that it's okay not to feel okay and it's absolutely get us for help so it's it's these things that we over time bring together but never ever ever in my case at least 
do I have a a hope that it will be wrapped up neatly in a bow? That's not that's not the goal. No matter what tools or experience we have, we're constantly changing as is life around us. So there are going to be peaks and dips and drops all over the place. And before we began recording, we were sharing podcast recommendations to each other. And I mentioned um, How to Fail with Elizabeth Day. And she was joined by the BBC presenter, Alex Jones. And Alex Jones was talking about her husband having a mental health episode. And she didn't go into detail, but her she said her failing. And that's what the, the podcast looks at people's perceived failures in life and what that taught them. It celebrates failure. And she said, I didn't and don't really understand mental health. She said she had an ex-partner who had suffered as well and that they used to have rows because she'd be saying, come on, get on with it, because that was the upbringing she had. And likewise with her husband, she realised we live in a different society now where we talk about it. But do we really know what to do about it when somebody comes to us? Do we have that next step on? And it really resonated with me. Do you agree with that in, in a way, Jim? I mean, obviously, with your work with I Am Here, that's what you're all about is giving people those tools. But do you think we've started to take mental health out from under the carpet and talk about it, but that we're ready for that ne- next step, which is knowing what to do with it? I, I think... Yes, is the answer. And I think that there's, um, it's probably, what you've spoken about there is probably the core problem and the core opportunity that we have going forward. So because people don't have courage and confidence to interact or to intervene when they spot that somebody might not be feeling okay, our response to that is, well, let's put in place a load of help and supports or let's have wellness days or let's have people come in and do talks or conversations. And that's all good, but it doesn't change behaviour and it doesn't change belief. So what we say with an IMEAR is it's an evidence-based approach. And actually, I actually learned this when I was speaking in um, Portour School up in, I think it's Enniskillen. Um, and... I was in talking to students and they were in the assembly hall and I noticed that on the left of the assembly hall it was all girls and on the right it was all boys. I remember saying, is that like, you know, who arranges this? No, it's just traditionally the girls have always gone on the left and the boys have always gone on the right and it's just the tradition of the school. And we were talking that day about three steps. Show you care, ask the question and call for help. And we're saying, if you were to spot that somebody isn't feeling well, do you need to know, do you need to be able to give whatever they're feeling a label? No. Do you need to be able to diagnose their illness? No. But it, can we show you care? Can we reach out and build a contract of trust? And all the students go, yes, we can. And the second step is to ask the question. So now you've built a contract of trust and somebody's shared with you a little bit about how they're feeling. Not the details of what happened, just how they're feeling. Do you think we can ask that question, which might be, you know, Jim, you've mentioned that um, you're dealing with intrusive thoughts. Do you think that's something that, you know, you could talk with your GP or you could talk with your therapist, you could talk with somebody about, do you think it's something that you need some help with? That's asked the question. And then the final step is call for help, which is to work with that person to go for whatever the help they're looking for. And I asked the students and they go, yeah, of course we can show you care. Of course we can ask the question. Of course we can call for help. I said, which do you think would be the hardest? And say, ask the question. I said, yeah, I, I agree. I think that would be the hardest part. 
but could we practice that? Could we practice that skill and could we get better? And they go, yeah, of course we can. And as I said, all the girls were on the left and all the boys were on the right. But there was one boy sitting in amongst all of the girls and he had an orange ribbon because orange was our colour for cycling and suicide. And when the talk was over and the presentation was finished, um, different schools of different kind of traditions. So, you know, if I was in the Loretto and Clamel, uh, all girls school and they're just full of energy and, you know, full of life. You go to the boys school across the road, I think it's the high school in Clamel, you know, different vibe, different energy. And in this school, the, the, the girls came up afterwards and they wanted selfies and they wanted to say thank you, whatever else. And there was an orderly line of boys that just wanted a quiet word. And again, you, you take your time, there's no rush. And the very last boy to come to, was waiting at the very end of the line was the chap with the orange ribbon in his hair. And he said, I really wish my mum had been here today to see this. And I said, can I give you a hug? And he said, yes. I gave him a hug and I held on to him as long as he wanted. And when he was finished, he said, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming here today. And he left and I left. And about 20 minutes later, I said, I never asked the question. And to this day, I'll use that as a spur for me to keep practicing. Show you care, ask the question, call for help. Because that's things we can do. And, we, and what's the question? Are you okay? Well, the question would be, you know, based on what you've said, based on what I've, I've, I've seen, um, is there something wrong? You know, because even, even the question, are you okay? It's a funny one. And I wouldn't correct somebody on it normally, but we're all okay. Yeah. <laughs> But we might not be feeling okay, you know. And so the question is, based on what you're listening to, based on what you're hearing, based on what information that they're sharing with you, you know, you know. so Jim, you've spoken about the fact that when you were younger, um, you had this fear of, you know, walking to school and going to school. Is that something you're still battling with? You know, it could be that question. It could be that, that simple, that easy. Tell us about the work you do then at I Am Here, because that became the next step on your journey. You know, you're doing all these talks at schools, but you wanted to get into the workplace. Is that because we spend so much of our time there if we are working outside of the home? The workplace is really important for a few reasons. Number one is it is the place we spend so much of our time in. You know, we spend more time with our work colleagues than than our family often. It's also because the workplace is still the last bastion of, bastion of stigma for mental health. And that's that's not good for anybody. And there's, there's great evidence right now. There's a Deloitte report last year that spoke about how, how beneficial it is for business to be able to really tackle mental health and well-being in the workplace. So I Am Here is a programme for workplaces where we go in and we give people the courage, confidence and the skills to have those conversations around show you care, ask the question, call for help. And ultimately, there's layers and layers and layers and layers to I am here, but ultimately, the simple measure of success is are more people asking for help as a result of I am here being in place. And our first ever client was Woolworths in Australia, 200,000 team members, a voluntary um, programme. So we made sure that, you know, if you want to take it, if you want to be a tribe member, be a tribe member, no pressure. They were expecting they would get a few hundred people over a couple of years. I thought they would get 12,000 of the 200,000 people to do it over a couple of years. 24,000 people 
became tribe members within three months. Today, 60,000 of the 200,000 uh, team members in Woolworths are, are I Am Here tribe members. But more importantly, the number of people asking for help and support has trebled. Think about it. Of the 200,000 people, three times as many of them every day are asking for help than before. And Claire, if, if we, and we know that's correct, and that being the case, that means that people are by definition asking for help earlier. And if they're asking for help earlier, that's the best place to ask. That's the best time to ask. If anybody's here listening today, reach out. I'll give you an email address, grace at imheretribe.com. And if you send a mail to grace at imheretribe.com and you let us know, completely in confidence, what your challenges are, we'll help you find the help and support that you need. You don't have to be part of a business. In fact, we're now rolling out I Am Here to Kilbacon Tea in County Galway, just outside court, to a community. Because the lessons are, are you know, the lessons are the same for everybody. <laughs> you know, can you learn compassion? Yes. Can you learn how to listen better? Yes. Can you learn to have better empathy? Yes. Can you learn to be accepting, non-judgmental? Yes. And can you learn to bring your real self to conversation? And bringing your real self doesn't mean bringing your qualifications or your, it means bringing all of your humanity and all of your life experience. I learned that from a guy called John McGuire, who's just joined I'm Here. And I was talking with him about being your real self. And he said, because he's a psychotherapist, he said, when I go in to meet clients, yes, I have a box of tissues and yes, I have a notebook, but I bring, more importantly, I bring all of my life experience and all of my humanity. And I thought, oh my God, that's that's been our real self. And we can learn to do that. We, we can be better at that. And by being better at that, by showing you care, ask the question, call for help, we know we're making an impact. So we're in you know, organisations all over Ireland, all over Europe, all over North America, all over Australia, New Zealand today, which is fantastic. There's 850,000 members of the I Am Here tribe now across six continents, which is fantastic. But more importantly, it's the power of every single one of those compassionate connections. That's what keeps you going. And we get that feedback all the time. You know, and by the way, the compassion connections aren't always in the workplace. The lessons are learned in the workplace, but then they're applied at home or they're applied at the employed at the, the GA pitch or the rugby pitch or, you know, in your you know, in your hobbies. And that's what's beautiful about it as well, this ripple effect. And that's the part, again, going back to our conversation earlier, that's the part that gives me hope. Not that mental illness is this enemy that we're going to obliterate. No, that, that's, that's an unrealistic um, expectation. We can, however, support each other much better. And we can support each other much better by having courage, confidence and particular skills. So based on everything that you have discussed there and that journey we've gone on from The Secret Millionaire, how you felt as a child to everything that I am here is achieving and the ripple effect that's causing. Have you begun to look on that Tuesday feeling as a superpower that led you to do all of this? Um, I wouldn't say it's a superpower. What I would say is every breakage is a gift. Every loss is a gift. Every trauma is a gift. Sometimes I say, will you take your flipping gift 
and you can take whatever or take your breakage and I'll give you the gift back. But we don't get that choice. You know, we don't get a choice of when you're battling with depression or anxiety or, you know, a relationship breaks down. We don't get the choice of, of rolling back the clock. We do get the choice of deciding how we're going to learn from it and also how we're going to respond. Well, people can find out more at IamHereTribe.com. Jim Breen, I have loved talking to you today. Thank, Thank you. you so much for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Alive and Kicking, News Talk's health and wellness show. If there's ever a topic you'd like covered on the show or you'd like to comment on one which has already been on, you can always email aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, I would so appreciate if you would rate, subscribe and share with a friend. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk.